Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books and Gender Studies. I'm Yana Byers, your host, and I'm here today with Lindy McDougall of Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, to talk about her new book, The Perfect Vagina, Cosmetic Surgery in the 21st Century, out this year, 2021, with uh, Indiana University Press. Hello, Lindy, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Yana. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's lovely. How are you this, your evening in Australia? Yes, I'm good. It's dark and cool, but cold is not really what we get here. We think it's cold and it's sort of less than 20 degrees. Um, (laughs) Yes, it's very pleasant. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, at 20 is in the Netherlands when we hit 20, people start complaining about the heat. So Yes, that's right. Well, think of what's happening in Canada at the moment. (gasps) Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, the same back back home in the states is just miserable. I hate global warming. I know that's a bold move, bold statement there, but just we need let to me say it. About that. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. All right. Um, so I was so happy to see this book come up when I was like, you know, as I trolling the publishers as I do to see who I might like to talk to. It's such a great topic. Um, I had a student a couple of years ago who would have been thrilled to find this book because this is really. Uh, some unique and groundbreaking work you're doing. I mean, that's a really good sign. It's very new and exciting. Um, so and uh, there's so much to unpack here, but before we go any further, I'd like you just to explain to our listeners what exactly we're talking about when we talk about female genital alteration. Um, what procedures might this encompass? Okay, so um, if we're talking about female genital alterations or cosmetic surgery in a in the West, um, and that, and it's carried out not just in the West, but particularly in the States, um, Europe, Australia, but also in Asian countries increasingly and even in Africa. Um, so basically these are alterations that are done for cosmetic purposes and they include, well, in, and they vary from country to country, but in Australia labiaplasty is the most common and that is um, decreasing the size of the labia minora, the um, in the lips of the lady, of the vulva, and um, there's also um, G-spot amplification, labia majora reduction, liposuction of the mons pubis, vaginal tightening, um, also uh, things like vaginal bleach, uh, um, vulval bleaching. So it's a whole array of things. In Australia, in my research, focused on labiaplasty because that's the most common female genital cosmetic surgery occurring in Australia. Um, I have done some research in the United States as well, um, mostly with medical 
the medical profession, and they're things like vaginal tightening to re- narrow the vagina so it's there's more sexual satisfaction. I think I'm not sure. Um, that, that, um, so that is actually more common. It's not actually particularly common in Australia. So my research was basically focused in Australia on labiaplasty. Um, also, clitoral dehooding is another thing that is done, um, which is to remove some folds around the clitoris. Um, and sometimes this is for aesthetic reasons to make the clitoris look less protruding if you paired away the labia minora. And sometimes it's um, thought that it might increase responsiveness in women. Um, of course, as you will know, having read my book, is that I haven't, I don't think you can speak about female general cosmetic surgery as a Western practice without referring to female circumcision, circumcision, sorry, I've got a list, and, and um, female, um, yeah, or female genital cutting, as I call it, in other countries. So that all these procedures are um, procedures that are done to women either for aesthetic reasons or cultural reasons and really to make so that women feel that they fit in to their society. Yeah, I mean, if with, with that as a definition, you know, this cultural alteration done for cultural and aesthetic reasons to make women feel that they fit in, then there is not a far a distance between a labiaplasty and female genital cutting. No, is I mean, there, there's right? very big differences in age, yeah. consent, the medical situation, etc. But I suppose my curiosity came, well, we'll go into that maybe, but is that I think I sort of realised, well, you know, we can't sit here and say we don't do cultural things, that medicine is not cultural. <laughs> That's what I... Um, that was my driving force, I think. Yeah. And we we do things to women's bodies. Women do things to their own bodies for but cultural for reasons. for a certain reason, because they are yeah. persuaded that that's, for some reason or other, right, a good thing to right. do. And that happens in all cultures. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's really important to just, you know, to help us contextualize one of these ideas, because we, I, I think it's uh, there are a lot of people who are going to be like, well, labiaplasty, hmm, women choose that. But female yeah. genital cutting, it's like, well, women choose that too. Just they're some, of, some pol- of it. They're completely polarized in yeah the way that we, our, we look at them in the West. Yeah, yeah. Our discussion has them polarized, and I think it's good to put it on a spectrum and to consider that together. I think that's really important. There will be some complaints. We will hear about this conversation. <laughs> I will hear about this conversation. Yes, they're yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure you have heard about this as well. Oh, I'm sure yes, anytime yes. you've said this publicly, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I just think, it, well, all academic inquiry, I think, um, you have to be game to go there. Yeah, I mean, that's our job, right, is to ask questions. Ask questions and see what, yeah. Yeah, see what happens I mean, I, and maybe I, be... My, my, the conclusion of my book is that, yes, I don't, I think, I don't know that it's a really different to have female genital cosmetic surgery than having a nose job or something else. I'm not making that decision. All I'm saying right. is that it does bring into juxtaposition how we look at one culture against how we look at another culture. Sure. And, you know, and also like what, how um, there's also people that are like, oh, good Lord, labiaplasty, but are totally fine with rhinoplasty. And on mm. some level, we've just had rhinoplasty. We've talked about rhinoplasty for longer. But there's also, like, let's put this on a spectrum. Let's try to contextualize what we're talking about, right? I think something to do with the um, the sort of 
uh, I've known, I can't think of the word now, but the sort of controversial factor about cosmetic surgery. I mean, obviously the doctors who perform these surgeries don't think it's controversial at all, and then the media hype it up at times. But the thing is that actually I think the fact that it's so linked to sexuality, in a way that breast surgery, although it probably should be, is not, is there's something about altering the genitalia that um, has more people more concerned or people more opinionated yeah. about it. Yeah, it, more like opinionated. Job or something, or, you know, yes, <laughs> certainly more opinionated. So you open your book with an excerpt from an interview you held with a woman named Mandy, or perhaps not named Mandy, whatever, but Mandy, um, who wants a labiaplasty. And so can you tell us what she had to say? Can you just get, kind of run down what her concerns are? Well, Mandy was interesting. She came from a medical family. Um, and she was obviously very, um, I would say, sort of an anxious woman. Um, and initially she was concerned about her protruding labia and was keen to have labiaplasty. But then as the conversation went on, I spoke to her several times, um, she then also was concerned about having vaginal tightening because she'd had, well, she when I first spoke to her, she was pregnant, then afterwards she'd had a baby. And... Um, I suppose, um, so she was worried about her specifics and function. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I don't know if I'm not a psychologist or, um, but I think in lots of ways she was concerned about her relationship and trying to be attractive to her partner. And um, in some ways she was um, nervous about nervous about, about her well, concerned about how she looked and mm-hmm. and how not, she looks, but also not overly, not overly confident. No, right. She seems to care about how she looks, but she's also worried that like that her body has changed in this way as I a result of childbearing and right. Yeah. That she was she, she mean yeah old, hmm? but I mean, but she was pregnant with a third. Yeah, child. and three three kids is a lot. Um, And, you know, the childbirth is just some violence to your body. But, you know, yeah, she seemed to be worried about being attractive, like visually, but attractive as in her ability to keep her husband happy as well, to maintain a sexual health. Yeah, she wanted to she wanted to have, as she said, I think in one thing she said, I just I want to get into bed and she didn't want getting into bed to be a boring thing where he didn't find her attractive or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, to me, that indicates some sort of insecurity. And where does that come from? Where, do, where mm-hmm. is that generated? Yeah, fact- well, let's talk about that. Like, why, you know, what? where does that come from? What? How did Mandy and the women like Mandy convince you to write this book? Um, well, I guess when I set out, I had no idea what I was going to find out. Mm-hmm. Um, I just became interested in the subject. And so... Um, and I had lots of intimate conversations with women that which really sometimes put me in a bit of a difficult situation. But um, I suppose what came up is that women are quite, a lot of women are quite insecure about how their vulvas look and uh, they want to be, I can't think of a better word than say, to be loved mm-hmm. and um, accepted and that they feel, and I think this is generated, um, I well, we can unpack it a bit further down the line. But I think um, 
they see in the media and articles in social media, they see other women's bodies. I'm not a fan of saying that pornography is a huge driver for this. I think it has a big factor to play. But things like, as Mandy discusses, I'm not sure if it's in that opening part, but certainly later in the book, about pubic grooming and how, you know, a lot of women feel insecure about having a Brazilian or something because their labia menorah um, fall down beyond their labia majora. So I think this whole thing is that they see images um, that, and there's a lot of the other thing which we will, which I do, I think in the uh, perfection chapter go on to is this idea that um, you should care for yourself, that it's a woman's um, responsibility, not just a woman, obviously men as well, but um, that um, in our neoliberal society is this, you need to work on the body, make sure you're presentable and to be um, acceptable and happy you need mm-hmm. to do the best you can do to right. and that used to be maybe it used to be washing your hair or whatever it happens to be but mm-hmm. now it's extended to your genitalia yeah now we have yeah. we have other medical interventions right yes. it's not just about dieting yes yes not just so it's more um where i mean that's a bit where can we go from here really yeah i mean then we're into hunker games territory maybe yeah. um and I also want to mention this is an interview which which makes up the basis of your source material for this book, right? You interviewed several women. Um, I interviewed 22 women. I, I put a right. questionnaire on the web and probably had about, I don't know, 40 or 50 responses, 40 something, I think. And um, I, of that, 22 women agreed to be interviewed. So I interviewed them, some of them several times. And so they formed my main source mm-hmm. material and the characters in the book. Um, and so that was um, the core of my research with women. Um, then I interviewed about 40 doctors. Um, I don't know. We have a, cat- a different categorization between plastic and cosmetic surgeons in Australia. Plastic surgeons are much better trained in plastic surgery. Cosmetic surgeons are just GPs who cause them, call themselves cosmetic surgeons because that's what they're interested in. Gynecologists, yeah. Whereas in America, the, the number of people doing these operations is much broader. There's also dermatologists and other people doing them. But, yeah, so I interviewed mostly plastic cosmetic surgeons and a few gynecologists um, and got their perspective. And the other thing I did in my research was go to several go to conferences and things where medical conferences and women's health conferences um, where these the issue of female genital cosmetic surgery was either the main focus of the conference or it, an issue that was brought up at the conference in the case of women's health. Right on. All right. So sort of like so, a, yeah, and I did most of my research in Australia except for, and I did a lot of searching obviously on the web and everything so to find what was happening in other areas of the world. Um, and then I did um, go to a conference in Las Vegas on cosmetic gynecology, <laughs> which forms one of my chapters. Yeah, wow. That, I'm guessing, was quite a cultural experience. Yes, it was pretty amazing. It was pretty, um, I think I say in the book, it's quite daunting as a woman to be sitting in a room of sort of 100 or so, mostly men. Only three women mm-hmm. spoke at the conference, and one of them was my colleague, a psychologist from Australia, um, talking about how women needed to, 
Yeah, that's money. Yeah, that's that's about. And that's a cynical sort of attitude, but that's what I found out. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like a very reasonable uh, way to look at this. Um, All right. So uh, back to kind of the story here. I want to read a brief passage. Mm. Mandy and I chatted about what is normal for for vulval morphology. Normal isn't the right word, she said emphatically. There is no normal. The word I would like to use is aesthetically, I like to use is uh, aesthetically pleasing. After I watched The Perfect Vagina, listeners, that's an English documentary from 2007. All right. After I watched The Perfect Vagina and saw the plaster casts of a wide variety of vulvas, that certainly changed my opinion a lot. The majority of women are so different to the ideal, and everyone's in the same boat. We're all different to the ideal, so what is normal? Unquote. And I love that she's she's aware of this. Like, Maddie doesn't think there's a normal vulva, but she has an idea of what makes an attractive vulva. And that kind of, that throws me in a bit of a spin. (laughs) Like, how... Uh, what, uh, uh, yeah, help me understand how you can say there's no normal, but still consider surgery to make yourself more attractive, according to a standard that she has to know that is plastic and constructed. I think that um, what I found out was that there is no normal vulva. There, there's no medical definition of what's a normal vulva. Um, it, the measurements vary widely. But what women desire and what they consider normal is conflated with the ideal. So they think of what's an ideal, and then the ideal and the normal butt up against each other. And so mm-hmm. the normal is actually what's um, statistically normal or what's medically normal is um, a wide range. But what women consider normal, or even maybe doctors consider normal, is um, what's really more the ideal, which is what is shown in the media and in text and even in stylized medical drawings of vulvas. Mm-hmm. So um, although I don't think women are, most women realise that there's great variety and, and doctors admit that as well, but that's not what women want mm-hmm. or doctors feel that they can provide. Right. The- Sure. So Mandy then is fairly, fairly normal in this regard. She's representative yeah. of the women who seek plastic or cosmetic surgery. Yeah, and, that, and that's how she rationalizes it. I mean, she's not an, she's, she's an intelligent woman. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I guess we all, in lots of ways, I mean, we all do things to make ourselves not statistically normal, I suppose. I mean, Sure. And we all do things to, you know, to, to, to be our best, what we conceive to consider to be our best. It comes back to that um, working on self idea, mm-hmm. the Socolian sort of idea that we should um, work on ourselves um, mm-hmm. and transform ourselves in, into um, what fits into society. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. 
Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Sure. Uh, yeah, I just did an interview with a guy named Jürgen Marchukat on a book called The Age of Fitness that talks about how much working on our bodies is a demonstration of like moral goodness. And, mm. you know, and like this, uh, this, there were a few times I thought back to that, that I kind of thought about that one. A great book, by the way, highly recommend. Okay. Um, Okay. So, I mean, there's this other um, kind of question, you know, is why? And as you note, and this is a direct quote, there's no one answer to why female genital cosmetic surgery is increasing in popularity in the West. And so what you give us instead is a rhizomatic, not to Deleuze and Guattari, explanation, which is to say it's really hard to economically answer the question I'm about to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway, why are women doing this? Hmm. Well, I think I did fall back on that rhizonomic thing. Um, I um, I couldn't put my finger on it. Is what, but I found that probably what was interesting in my research is that there's many multifactorial issues, and I think well, we all know that that's in everything in our lives. So mm-hmm. basically, um, I do think that there could be people who are more susceptible to worrying about. Um, what their vulvas look like. I mean, mm-hmm. other people would just say, well, you know, no one sees it much, I don't care, sort of thing. So um, I think um, there are lots of reasons, but I suppose one of the things that I um, wanted to highlight, I suppose from my perspective as a medical anthropologist, is that I think medicine has quite a, a big influence on the choices women make about their bodies because medicine is considered to be acultural mm-hmm. rather than being firmly embedded in culture. And also, you know, it's uh, like um, medicine is science and therefore if a doctor says you can do this and it's just chop, chop, chop and that's that, fine. So whereas uh, I don't think that women take into the fact that a lot of where women get their ideas of what is the sort of vulva that they want um, is not just pornography and magazines and things. It's also before and after images on doctors' websites. So you look like um, you look you look like uh, I'll just I know you know you, you know. So basically, this is the before and this is the after, and then you end up with this. Mm-hmm. So right, the the clean slip which is the ideal. And I think that persuades women um, Mm -hmm. that that is what they can aspire to. So I think that, um, I mean, I think I say something in the book, but if there were no doctors who did it, well, the ideal wouldn't be there. I mean, it had to be how you were born. Yeah. That would be it. From most of human history, we haven't done it, right? No. Um, So like on... But other cultures, of course, have. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. And and for different reasons. Yeah, that's absolutely. I, that was a completely wrong thing to say, Anna. Um, yeah, I mean, so on some answer, some level, the answer is because we can, right? We're always trying to improve, and this and is the newest about, technology. Um, commercialization. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. the, I, I like certainly the m- most of the doctors that I interviewed in Australia and all, all the doctors in America at conferencing, they blatantly said they were in it for money. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, fair, okay. Yes. Um, and, and yeah. The doctors have said, well, what's the, di- uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think, what's the difference between, you know, cutting off a labia and straightening a nose? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, it's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think if we're like, well, one of these things is part of our sacred body or something, that's, that's problematic in itself, right? The idea mm-hmm. that there's, some part of a woman's body that should not be touched is interesting. I think, you know? I think, I mean, there's a lot of historical unpacking you can do in that respect as well. Mm-hmm. Sort of old sure. history and yeah. yeah. Um, so, been, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> no, some vulvas sort of maybe in the past being sort of sacred to now being malleable. Yeah. And uh, commercialized and, uh, and there's definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I think I, I want to make sure that our audience understands that this isn't just about pornography or media representation, yeah. that there's also a dialectic with the medical community as well, you I know, so. and yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that was, uh, that was another one, you know, one of those moments where I was reading along in this book and I'm like, hey, wait, I've never thought that before. That's really, that's a great point. Like, yeah. And so then I think I'm I'm now in this kind of circle of thinking about, all of the all of the medical procedures that we accept and in part just because someone tells us it's available so that a doctor can make money with it, you know. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, it's a very sort of cynical thing, but that's what I found. The other thing is of course I think that, you know, sexualization in societies a big thing now. Um, particularly mm-hmm. younger cohort of women that I spoke to, the fact that they wanted to wear skimpy bikinis and yeah. um you know, and that um, as one of the doctors have said, and there's no room for labia in that, you know, like. <laughs> um, that is labia. the truth. Yeah. So <laughs> people, women don't just want to, um, in, especially the young women, they just don't, they don't just want to feel aesthetically normal, which, of course, the normal, as we discussed, mm-hmm. is not normal, it's ideal. But they also want to do what um, women of their age or any woman want to do. I mean, they want to be able to wear a bikini. They want to be able to do go to the gym and they want to be able to look good in different fashions, etc. So mm-hmm. normal is not just about their vulvas per se. It's about everything else that goes on in their life that's attached to how they feel that sure. affects what they yeah. can do. Yeah, so beyond, as you said, beyond the clean slit, compromising yeah. a smooth you know, exterior, no flesh, Um so, and I think it's interesting if we contextualize though this, we have this image of women's bodies I want to spend a little minute on. Um, and I'm going to quote you again. Um, so we have a woman, quote, with markers of her sexual second of her secondary sexual status, breast, buttocks, and curves, heightened and exaggerated with the exclusion of body hair, but with primary sexual markers, the vulva and vagina, reduced to absence. Um and I want to make sure, like, we're clear that this is this can't be found in nature. Hairlessness is not the hallmark of an adult woman, right? Like that. So something, you know, just this is enough. But um, what's going on with this hypersexualized 
no sexualized kind of female body. That's a very interesting body. Yeah, I think it's something that's generated um, in images, in the media, mm-hmm. so, or even in pornography. So basically, having obviously having big breasts and mm-hmm. long hair and curvy hips and things is um, a mark of a woman. But I suppose my point is then why are we taking away what mm-hmm. really is the mark of a woman, which is her vulva? Um, yeah. Why would uh, – so what is going on What is going on here? And one of the reasons, of course, is um, particularly in pornography is that um, in Australia anyway, um, for pornography to appear sort of more in the mainstream, the censorship laws – Say that you can't have, um, ex, you know, I can't remember what the term is. They said it's like obvious. Oh, okay, thanks. I forgot what the term is. They say, but, yeah. but you know, you can't. So basically, that's they are digitally altered. They take mm. they do what's called digital labiaplasty, which is in the production room before pornography and stuff goes to air or images go to air in um, magazines that you can buy over the counter, for instance, not R-rated things. They just use a that uh, they use a digital device to remove the labia. Mm. And so, so um, because that's considered too, what's the word? It's in the book actually, it's that too confrontational. Mm-hmm. So, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, <I> <laughs> So we don't want you to be confronted by labia yes, when you're looking at porn. Yeah. So it's just, um, so it's, I don't, uh, to be honest, that's the law in Australia anyway, mm-hmm. with, um, pornography, for it to be available on the shelf or for uh, over it. So of course, the thing is uh, with pornography, with the internet, you can get onto all sorts mm-hmm. of sites of pornography and see all sorts of things. But there has been some research to say that a lot of women prefer to see stylized sort of women mm-hmm. with, um, you know, like the image that you just said that I suggested. But, but then some of the women that I interviewed also were happy to see homemade pornography with all different sorts of vulvas. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing, that's why I suppose I decided that I'm not actually convinced that pornography itself per se um, is a huge influence because like, women are smart and they know things have been digitally altered and there's a great um, lot of variation. But I think that comes back to an earlier point is um, although everyone knows it's normal to have different-looking vulvas, that's not what they want. They want the ideal. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, and there's something, there's a lot of work about kind of pornography and how sex has become um, a, a visual as much as it is tactile and the perfect kind of this is a sexualized body that's about viewing and not touching on some level, yeah? Mm-hmm. I mean, except, I mean, labiaplasty, if we're talking about vaginal tightening or something then we then it's a different situation um one of the like the one more point i really want to hit before i let you go is uh the tension between self-care and self-obsession right like Mm. there's this tight line for women to walk right Mm. um i mean specifically since women are always kind of precariously balanced on this line anyway because you have to be attractive but you don't want to be you want to be attractive you want to be productive you want to be alluring but not overly sexual it's 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 impossible like there's this line that's impossible you know so you've got 
you know, and I think about like what I do to remain attractive, you know, what I consider attractive. And there's all this like good skincare and foundational garments and hair. But I don't want to be some high maintenance yoga lady who calls her yeah, narcissism. So maintenance needs to get a life. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. so like, what is a woman to do? How do you manage this? And what- I, found, um, I think you'll know, I, I found it varied. Like there was some really down to earth women that I interviewed who just like you and I would probably think, you know, well, I could do a bit of work there. That made me happier and that's fine. Then in that chapter I write on perfection, there's obviously mm-hmm. the women who are perfectionists and they're not just perfectionists in how they look but how their vulvas are or their pubic hair or whatever. They're perfectionists in their jobs. or And the weirdest mm-hmm. thing I found is that they think um, those two women, Kylie and Mia, who I talk about, not their real names, of course, um, who basically feel that, if they do all this work on themselves, they're better people and they'll make other people happy. And um, so although it seems very self-obsessed, which you could argue that it could be, but it's there, um, they're on this project of um, what they feel is that contributing more by working on themselves. And where does all this come from, which is the interesting point, isn't it? I mean, I think really, um, and you could, say that they're being duped by what's possible or um, whatever. Or um, there's a good book by Tanner Maher and Jeffries of what they call good vanity. And so mm-hmm. in the old days, like, vanity was meant to be, um, you know, not a good thing. You know, you wouldn't want to say if someone was vain, it would be a detriment. Whereas now there's mm-hmm. a certain amount of good vanity is expected. And I think that comes back to your point on the gym. Like, you know, you're meant to go to the gym, you're meant to do this and meant to do that. And the other thing that comes into this aspect as well is the, um, and I'm not a psychologist, so I, I've, I've mentioned it in the book but I don't go into it in detail, is body dysmorphic disorder as something that drives women's desires to um, continuously work on their bodies. They don't see Kylie, one of the women in the book, she had, three labiaplasts, three operations on her vulva and a breast augmentation in one year within 12 months. Um, I mean, it's being very driven. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's interesting. it, It is. You see this, like, it's kind of this perfect storm on women's bodies, right, that, like, um, you know, this the the as capitalism tells us all that we constantly have to be working. You can't mm. just not work. Oh, and and that goes for the whole economy. It has to grow all the time. Everything has to yeah. be going exponentially. Yeah, and your you personally must take part in that, or you're not being a yeah. good citizen. That's right. Yeah. No. And so then, you know, what is your body looking like? Are you doing your best to make yourself better? Right. This like constantly striving to be this perfection that is unattainable and becomes ever more unattainable. I mean, like if we're digitally taking out people, like, you know, lengthening necks and yeah. changing the in, way that like we have people to make them look, um, um, anyway, I won't go into, but I mean, you see it all. <laughs> I, I've become really aware of it now. Like you look at it mm-hmm. and you think that person doesn't look like that. Um, Nobody looks like that. No. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but no, it's, but, but it does affect the opinions women make. Mm-hmm. 
about their bodies. I mean, I think and, it's very complex because I think some women really do want to be what they consider normal. Like one girl that um, I interviewed was born with some sort of labial adhesion or something, so she had one labia which was much longer than the other. And I mean, you think, well, okay, it's like if you have my cousin had big ears and he had them pinned back. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I fell off the horse <laughs> and I had my nose down. So um, yeah, so we all succumb to what we feel mm-hmm. i suppose my point is that we have to be cautious about mm-hmm. um being persuaded to go too far yeah i mean and that's that's the point right like what's what's okay and where's where's the line where it's too far and, who and decides? yeah who decides that is that's your very basic Foucauldian decision right there. Um, our sort of commercial capitalist neoliberal society it's the individual who decides it, but with but with uh, with restrictions, um, you know, like I actually just yesterday was talking to a friend who wants to get um, uh, gender like not re- gender reassignment city surgery, but she she's getting top surgery, um, and you know, and, and uh, they had to go to several different doctors to get approval, right? So there's also this place where you're not where where female bodies in particular, like bodies gendered female, are but, subject to but oversight. But what worries me and comes back to, I suppose, my basic premise for the book or for my research is, but why has medicine got so much authority? Yeah, that is a great question. I just think that, you know, um, as an older woman, um, I know what I want to do with my body. Um, so why should I... You know, why, I, why would that usually a man, I talk in the book about the mm-hmm. male gaze and the medical gaze, well, normally a yeah, man yeah. tell me what I can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. And that certainly comes back to the whole debate about feminism and we could go off for another yeah that's a whole not that's another book <laughs> that's another hour of conversation but I do find that very interesting how how much we treat medical authority as as if it were handed down like it's the new religion right it's down from God and this... oh, okay we've got rid of God and now we've got medicine yeah um, I forgot what they're saying that Mole that she's Dutch isn't she yeah oh, she she writes very that much about the authority of medicine which I find um, very pertinent to my sort of argument. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, is this? I think that we've just. Um, it needs to be questioned. Mm-hmm. And sure. the same with the case you were just talking about. You know, with your yeah. friend who wants to have surgery. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, this is not. This isn't gender reassignment surgery. This is a way for this person to make a body that seems to suit them better. Or her. Mm-hmm. She uses both pronouns. Um, and and that that on some level, whose business is that, right? Because if you win and if some you, a breast reduction is incredibly common and super old, and a medical necessity, and unless you seem to want it for other reasons, like I find this all very interesting. Yes, yeah, but that I'm. Sorry. Yeah, I think uh, I think my research did what and. Um, what I hope I've sort of brought out the book is a bit about the authority of medicine mm-hmm. to decide what women do with their bodies mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that I think that's um, like if we look at, say, places like Africa, which is where I lived for many years, um, we think that culture there asks women to do certain things with their bodies and I suppose I'm saying, well, same things go on here, just in a different way. Yeah. 
So, yeah, it's just this other kind of point to put on the constellation of how we navigate like normal attractive and how we ought to be in the world, mm. which is pretty complex. So are you um, are you continuing with this research? What are you thinking uh, about? No, pretty much not really. What I'm mostly doing at the moment is I'm mentoring PhD students at uni. Um, I work part time. I um, do really boring things like marking. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm writing another book, but it's not an academic book. Yeah. Oh, tell me, what is it? If oh, you don't mind, <laughs> it's more of a uh, memoir. Oh, wonderful! That's wonderful. I will look for it. All right, Lindy, thank you so much for taking time with me. Uh, it was it's it's a great conversation. I really love the book. Once again, the perfect vagina. Uh, from Indiana University Press. Thanks much. I just wanted to say before you go, I need really to thank Indiana University Press very much. They've been so supportive. It's taken a long time, but they've been great, great to deal with. And the Australian Anthropological Society who gave me a research grant to write the book. So I will not ah, All right. Shout outs to both. All right. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Anna. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.